Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here. Um, if you're a sports fan, you're all excited now. Um, but Super Bowl's next week. <sighs> Zach, thank you. Um, my, <laughs> we, uh, we're in the second week, as you saw there, of, of game plan, trying to discover what is God's will for our life. And so maybe you've seen on Facebook, we post on there and online the question, does God have a will for my life? And if so, why is it so hard to figure out? And if so, how can I find out and what is it? You know, and I, I couldn't help but thinking as Zach was talking, uh, and he came and shared some with me the other day, God is at work there. But in case you didn't know this, God is at work everywhere. The Holy Spirit has a plan and he's working it out. And for them to hit six wells in two weeks is awesome. I mean, you can't tell me that God didn't plan beforehand. I want to reach them. I want to give them water. Uh, and Zach said part of this whole thing is when they give them water, then they can share about the living water that is Jesus. Uh, the story he didn't share, I'm going to share it. He, he told me about a, it was a, a different village, but where there was the Muslims and they had their well, which he told me about were hand dug and sometimes would take as long as five years to dig a well. And so they would have these elaborate hand well hand dug wells. Um, and after the Christians put one in, the Christian church put one in, a week later, the Muslim one went dry. And so, it, so then they, they go to their well and there's no water. Um, the thing I was thinking is probably because they hit the water and they're taking it. But, um, <laughs> but that gave them an opportunity to walk over to the church and say, hey, can we have some water? And absolutely. And, and how would that change everything in people's perception of God and of the church and of Christians. So God is at work, and God used Zach and others, and, and God wants to use you as well. Um, let me pray this morning before we start. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we gather because of you. We gather because you died on the cross for us to give us life. Not because we earn anything by being here, not because we're better Christians or better people or there's a a checklist, and this is one of those things, we're here because of you, because we, if we by faith accept you, Jesus, we are now considered righteous before God, right, and we are secure in heaven, that that's where we're going to go when we die, and we have direction in this life, a life of not only peace and joy, but significance, uh, and although it's more difficult at times, you've promised to go with us, and so we just praise you. We thank you. We thank you that we get to celebrate what you're doing uh, over there in Burkina Faso. We, we thank you for what you did there. God, I thank you for the kids next door. I pray that each of those kids over there right now, that their, their hearts would be turned toward you, that they would fall deeply in love with you. I pray for all the, the worship leaders over there, teaching or helping, whatever they're doing, um, Use them mightily in those kids' life. Let not one of them wander from you as they get older. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I shared two weeks ago, we didn't have church last week, so welcome back. But I shared two weeks ago that when I was born, I was born with my intestines in a knot, uh, and I wasn't expected to live, but after three surgeries, I lived. Um, and surprise, I mean, we were surprised. And my grandma, my great-grandmother, was uh, she's a real prayer warrior. And so she was one praying through that time. And I remember growing up hearing her say, God has a plan for his life. And, and I remember hearing that from grandma, from mom, from great-grandma. God has a special plan for your life. Um, and sometimes that was encouraging. Um, sometimes it was discouraging because I would think if he has a plan, how come he's not telling me what it is? <laughs> you know, where's my, my burning bush? You know, Moses got a burning bush, or, or Paul got knocked off a donkey and blinded and say, hey, go see this guy. He's going to tell you what to do. I never had that. And so I grew up with a, a very godly family, very, very blessed. Um, I grew up in a church. We, we built a church when I was 
14 or so, and the gymnasium was named after my grandparents, Hammer Gymnasium. And the piano that my mom played on was named after my grandpa, Elmo Hammer. And, and so there was kind of this legacy. And I remember as a kid with grandpa in the old church building that was built in the, the early 1900s, uh, he was kind of the handyman for the church. You know, he didn't charge him. He just, that's what he did. He served that way. And I remember going up in the bell tower looking for rats with him when I was a kid. Um, and then later I knew how to get to the bell tower. But I grew up seeing this, you know, and my, my dad was a businessman. He, he was a contractor, and I watched how he served. So when they built, uh, I hope he doesn't listen to this, but when they built the church, he kind of supervised uh, everything that happened, of course, you know, free of charge. He didn't charge for that. He could have done the work, and I think they offered him the work, but he said, I better stay separate. Um, and he got to really serve God by overseeing that, and they put in this building that really has, has served the Lord. And so I've watched what God did in my, my family's life and in others' lives. And I see how God used my parents in business to bless people. But I, I grew up going, okay, God, what, what for me? <laughs> do you want me to be a pastor early on? And then he said, no. Okay, so then I'll be a businessman and do like my dad did and bless people that way and for a little while. And then God said, no. Can you guys relate <laughs> at all? Where you, you look at some other people and you go, man, look at what God's doing with them. I want to do that. Or, or just wondering does God have a plan for me? And if so, what is it? Well, I want you to know, I think God does have a plan for you, a unique and specific plan. And I think he wants you to know, I don't think it's a secret that it's hidden somewhere, but there are ways that we can discover what it is. And so today we're going to be in second Peter. So go ahead and, and turn to second Peter. But today is kind of a follow-up of last uh, two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, we started at the beginning, the fundamentals of the game. And we said it was like putting on our spiritual socks and shoes. And our main point last time was forget about the future. I mean, because that's our question. God, what should you do with my future? It's forget about that first and go, Jesus is my life. And so the question is no longer, God, what should I do with my life? Or what do you want me to do with my life? The question becomes, God, what do you want me to do with your life that's in me? And so it changes everything that we, instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror in our future, we, we look at Jesus because Jesus is our life. And if you go through life with Jesus right in front of you, not a mirror, you're gonna have a good life. You're gonna have a hard life. I, I mean, you're gonna have probably a more difficult life, but it'll be the life God wants you to have. And so that's where we started. But now this week, we're gonna try and get some, some guardrails. Uh, this one is called calling an audible. So I don't know if you're familiar with sports. Um, in football, you can call an audible. And nor, I mean, it's the quarterback. So you get up to the line and you see, okay, how the defense set up and you can change the play. You can make a call. You can call an audible. Well, in order to call an audible, you need to know the game plan. You need to know kind of the overall goal. And so that's kind of the same with us. When we know God's game plan, we can call an audible, meaning we can make decisions because we make decisions every day. And think about the problems you've had in life. Aren't almost all of them based on poor decisions you made? <laughs> most of them. So how can we make good decisions? When we know God's game plan, we can call an audible. We can make those decisions. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the game between the Rams and the Seahawks some, some weeks ago where the, uh, the Rams, they had just fired their coach and they knew they couldn't win really. Um, and, and so they brought in their special teams coach to be the head coach for the day. And he was interviewed before the game and I saw the interview and he said, you know, we know that in order to win, we're going to have to get lucky. We're going to have to be aggressive. And so their game plan was be aggressive any chance you get. And so they knew, you know, if the quarterback got up there and he saw a chance to go, he was going to go, he was going to take it. Be aggressive. And so they did a, 
a punt. They did a fake punt that totally failed. Um, but then, so the Seahawks were like, oh, that's how you're doing it. They did a fake punt. I don't know if you saw this. It was awesome. The punter takes the ball and just runs it up the middle. And he ran for 60 yards. Nobody touched. And as he's running, he drops the ball. <laughs> and then right as he gets it, he gets creamed and knocked totally unconscious. Um, but part of that was the game plan. They, they knew the game plan. And so they can make these decisions in the midst of it. So that's what we want to do today is get an idea of the game plan. Then we can figure out where we fit into that game plan. And it'll help us make decisions as we go. So today, we're going to see this. This is kind of the big point. Submission to the known paves way to discovering the unknown. Listen, submission to the known paves the way to discovering the unknown. Now, if you're a note taker, uh, you know, we have it in your bulletin. Um, if you like electronics, you can take your phone and download the app. Um, Common Ground Carson, you can do notes on there. The Wi-Fi password here is on mission. So if you're a techie, go ahead and do that. Um, but today, submission to the known paves way to discovering the unknown. So here's what we're going to look. Here's the outline for today. We're talking about the will of God. In the New Testament, God's will is used in three primary ways. And we're going to go through each three as we look at First Peter or Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Three ways. The first is his providential will. The second is his moral will. And then third, we'll look at his personal will. And the Bible refers to all three at different times. And if you can understand and be committed to the providential and the moral will of God, then you will better discern the personal will of God for you. So pay attention. Because the better you can understand his providential and moral will, the more likely you'll be able to discern his personal will for you. And next week, we'll get a little bit deeper into that. So 2 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Now, similar to two weeks ago, 2 Peter is written long after Jesus died and rose again and ascended. So the church has been in existence and going and thriving and expanding. But over that time, some things have happened. Over the time, uh, as the church has grown, false teachers have come in. Now, there was a thing right when Jesus left, there was kind of the idea in the church that he was going to come back any day. And if you've grown up in the church, you've had that too, which is right. But they really thought any day. I mean, some quit their jobs and things like that and went and just sat and said, okay, he's coming back. Well, now we're looking in 2 Peter, which is probably roughly 30 years later or more, and they're going, okay, we thought he was coming back. Where is he? And then there's this opportunity for these false teachers to come in and lead them astray. And so that's Second Peter. That's what he's writing to. And here in this passage, we get a glimpse of his providential moral and his personal will. So let me read Second Peter 3, 1 through 9. Follow along. There's a, a Bible on the floor in front of you or behind you or under you if you need one. Peter writes this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in these last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of this coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water 
and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Lord Jesus Christ, give us your Holy Spirit to understand your word this morning. Holy Spirit, convict us where we're off, encourage us where we're on, and let us not walk out of here feeling guilty, but encouraged um, with some accountability to walk in your ways. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So look here at, at verse one. Paul says that, or I'm sorry, Peter. We, we look at Paul so often. This is Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' three closest companions. Peter, he says, I'm writing to stir up your sincere way, mind by way of reminder. He's trying to remind them of things he taught before. It's his second letter. So some of this is seen in 1 Peter. And also Peter spent some time with these people. And so he's reminding them of things they already know. This isn't new stuff. He's reminding as a Christian, don't we sometimes forget? <laughs> Can't we sometimes go off the path? Well, he's trying to remind them, you know, snap the fingers, clap the hands. Look, focus here. Let's get back on track because there's false teachers coming in and what they're going to say sounds good. Remember in Proverbs, it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. There's a lot of things even now that sound good, but they're not. They're not biblical. They're not orthodox. They're not what Jesus taught. And so Peter's saying, all right, come back. Here's what the false teachers are saying, but here's what we need to focus on. And in verse two, he says, he's reminding them that you should remember, again, remember things they already have been told. Remember two things, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Two things he wants to remind them of. Predictions, those are prophecies, and the commandment. And we're going to look at this, these prophecies, but specifically he's talking about the day of the Lord. And he says it several times. He's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is always used in scripture of the time when Jesus returns. He's coming back. And when he comes, he's going to judge. He's going to save some of us. He's going to bring some of us into his presence and some he's going to judge. But that's the day of the Lord, the time in the end. And it's prophesied in the Old Testament and in the New. Jesus talked about it. It's in Thessalonians. That time is coming. And so he's saying, remember what they predicted. Because what people are saying is they're coming, they're saying, Jesus said he's coming back. He hasn't come back yet. He's not. And he's saying, no, remember, he said he is. And it's all over in the scriptures. He's coming back. And if you forget that, you're going to go off track. If you think he's not coming back, you're going to make different decisions. So he said, he is coming back. We're going to get more into that. He said, and remember the commandment. Now, commentators disagree <laughs> on what the commandment is, but in general, they'll the land on the same thing. But that word commandment is singular. Singular. So one command. What is the greatest command? Think back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said all the prophets, everything is summed up in that. So whatever this commandment is referring to, it starts with love. So Jesus is coming back, and until then, live lives of love for God first and others second. Everything else falls under that. Everything else. That, I mean, the Christian life is that easy. There, go. Be well. <laughs> 
but live lives of love. That's the commandment that he's talking about. Edwin Bloom sums it up well. He says, the commandment is a way of referring to the moral demands of the Christian faith and primarily to the command of love. Primarily to the command of love. And in verse three, he gives the warning. He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in these last days with scoffing. Last days in the New Testament refers to Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Those are the last days. So if you didn't know it, we're in the last days. We're in the last days. So he's referring to right now, in the last days, scoffers will come with scoffing. He's talking about the false teachers. Still in verse three, following their own sinful desires. Don't miss that. These false teachers are coming, teaching the wrong thing and following their own sinful desires. Because isn't that what happens? When you think God's not coming back or this gospel is not true, then I'm gonna live the way I want. And guess what? Now I'm going the way of what the Bible would say, my flesh. Sinful desires, I'm gonna go that way. And that's what these false teachers are doing. They're coming and scoffing. And it, it appears there's one primary false teaching they're bringing, but it leads into a second, okay? And here's the first, look in verse four. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of cre creation. So here's, here's their teaching. Here's what they're coming. They're saying, Jesus said he's coming back. He's not. The prophecies say he's coming back and everything's going to change. There's going to be a kingdom set up. Believers will be brought into that kingdom and share in Jesus' glory. Awesome. Sinners who do not belong to Jesus will be judged and condemned to hell. He says, that, that's what Jesus taught. And they're coming in saying that's not going to happen. Look at history. Look at, they say everything's continued as it has forever. When has everything changed? You know, the world, you can debate how old the world is in humanity, but let's say it's 10,000 years old, and at this point, this is, you know, 8,000 years old. They said, for 8,000 years, nothing's changed. So you're telling us it is now? Well, history says you're wrong. And so they're using this, sounds like good logic, right? Things haven't changed. And that leads to the second one. They're saying he's not coming back, which means, and which leads to, and he's going to talk about this, it could lead to what, what we see in the church now more is that everybody's going to be saved, universalism. If Jesus isn't going to come judge, then everybody's saved. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus' blood, although I would argue is good enough for everyone, it's only effectual for those who actually choose to accept Jesus by faith. Now, there's a whole conversation there about that choosing, but not everybody's going to be saved. But part of this thinking is that don't worry about it. You're not going to be judged. Peter is saying, no, you, there is a judgment coming and you have to pay attention. And so now, well, here's our first point. We see in this the providential will of God. This is where we start. The providential will of God. These are things that God will bring about. They are going to happen. The providential will. These things will happen. They're going to God will bring about, they're going to happen. In context of here, in this passage, what is God's providential will? Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge. That's his point. He's ordained it. He ordained it before the dawn of time. There's a bunch of other things in scripture that's God's providential will. But these are things, again, that you don't have control of. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied in Genesis 12 that God would raise up a nation through which he would give them a side. That was Israel. Now, Israel could do whatever they wanted to try and mess that up, and they did. 
But God still brought his Messiah through his chosen nation. He did that. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. We're not going to read those, but you can take a note if you want to go look at it. But that talked about the Messiah, Jesus. It was planned from the dawn of time that he would come at the right time. And so God knew. He planned it. Nobody could stop Jesus from coming, and nobody did anything to make Jesus come. God decided that was going to happen. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's God's providential will, by the way. He's going to build his church, and the gates of hell, meaning the devil, who's going to to try and destroy the church, will not succeed. Yes, there's been success in individual churches at times, but overall, the devil can't win. And look through history, how many people have tried to destroy the church and get rid of the Bible? Many, 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 many. They always fail. And read through history, it's actually pretty impressive at what happens when people try and destroy the church. It just gets stronger. It just grows. In Acts 1.11, says, these are angels, right after Jesus ascended to heaven, some angels appeared to those that were looking on, and they said this, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's providential will. Jesus is coming back. Peter wanted to remind them, and I want to remind you, if you ever wondered about this, he's coming back. It could be in your lifetime. It could be today. It could be after your lifetime. And if so, then when you die, you go and stand before the judge, and your time happens then. But this won't go on forever. It's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. This is his providential will. You have nothing to do with his providential will. Prove it. Prove it. Okay, everything's always continued as it has. He says he's going to come back. No, he's not. Bicker back and forth. And that's what they'll say. Now look at verse 5. Peter says, for they, the false teacher saying he's not coming back, saying things have always happened the same. He says, they deliberately meaning they know about it, but they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago. So he's saying, yes, the earth is old. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Just read Genesis 1. God spoke, he used the word, and he created everything. It was only man that he took his hands and made. But he spoke and he created water. All of it was created out of water by the word of God. Verse six, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Peter says they're ignoring the fact that God has judged the earth once before. No, things haven't continued as they always have. Because we looked at God's providential will and the combination of God's moral will. We're gonna look at that in a minute. But God's moral will, the things that he morally wants us to follow that he has for us, these things don't change. Back During the time of Noah and the flood before that, the earth was so corrupt. People were doing whatever they wanted. There was one righteous man, Noah. God only found one on earth, and he said, enough's enough. And he sent a flood, and he destroyed the earth, except for the ark. You guys know the story. You guys probably sang the song, Arky, Arky, great song. That happened. (laughs) That happened. So these people are forgetting the fact that God did it before. He looked at earth, and he said, morally, they're so far off, I'm done. And he destroyed it. And so he took the ark and he took one family, saved them, and started over. So Peter's saying they're forgetting what he did. And guess what? Yes, God promised not to do it with a flood. So next time it's with fire. (laughs) It's going to happen, and this time it's with fire. Choose what you will. I would probably choose the flood. 
But this next time, it's going to be by fire. Look at verse 7. But by the same word, the one that created before, the one that destroyed the earth once, the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist, they're the same ones now, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is scary. This is scary. And I'm sorry we have to talk about this. I'm not sorry. This is scary. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the ungodly. The ungodly, biblically, is any that have not chosen to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. We are saved by belief alone. We've been going through the book of John and we're going to go again. But when they came to, to John and, or to Jesus, he said, what work what must we do? He said, this is the work that you believe. Sounds easy. If you were raised Catholic, sounds way too easy. It's that easy. <laughs> believe, believe. That is who are considered godly because we're united with Jesus, not because we're better. By the way, if you're a Christian and you think you're a Christian because you're better than non-Christians, that's not it. <laughs> you're not special or smarter. God chose you. You responded to his, his grace and he gives it to you. In that day, verse seven again, the, but the same word, the heaven and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. A judgment is coming and he's telling them it's predicted, God's providential will, it's going to happen. Be ready for it. It's coming. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge. It's unchangeable. The providential will of God does not hinge on the will of man. The providential will of God does not hinge on the will of man. Now, I want to address one thing. It's a little bit of a tangent, sermon within a sermon. Some may say right here, and this is what our culture would say, I don't believe a good God will send good people to hell because we're looking at judgment. And I would say, you're darn right. A good God, he's good and just, he's both, and he won't send any good people to hell. He won't. The, the problem is who gets to define good? We, we think we get to define good, but in Isaiah, he says, my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. So guess what? You and I, we're pretty ignorant when it comes to God. <laughs> God gets to define good. Jesus was called good teacher by somebody. He said, good teacher. And Jesus turned to him and said, oh, time out. You're calling me good. Why are you calling me good? He's like, do you know who I am? Because Jesus then said, there's only one good, and that's God alone. Only God is good. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. So Jesus was good too. So Jesus is like, ooh, do you know me? <laughs> but nobody else is. Not you, not me. Not Gandhi. Nobody else is good. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. That's Luke 18, 19. All right, that's Romans 3, 10. Sorry, none righteous. No, not one. So why is this judgment coming? The judgment is coming because of breaking of God's moral will. So here's the moral will. The moral will of God is, is the, the general moral and ethical code in Scripture. The general moral and ethical code in Scripture. And we look back because he's reminding them of the commandment. That's really where the moral will, we see that in this passage. Remember the commandment. The commandment is to love. Love God and love others and everything else flows from that. You know, in your marriage relationship, husband, you come home from work and you go sit down on the couch, you know, and you grab a beer and you turn on the tube and the kids are running wild. Well, that's Sometimes that might be okay, but 
a lot of times that's the wrong choice. Why? Not because it says in the Bible, don't sit down right after work and drink a bit. Because that's unloving to your wife who's been working hard all. It, love is the determiner of everything else. And so everything else falls under love. But the Bible is full of these other commandments that fit under the moral will of God. First Peter 2, 13 through 15, just a summary, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It is God's moral will that we are subject to the governing authorities. So fall into that, pay your taxes, obey the speed limit-ish, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm looking at Officer Dauber over here. <laughs> but these are things that we, we don't even have to pray about them, just do them. Obeying that, uh, for this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. How does this fit with God's plan for you? If you are committed and submitted to the known, it paves way to the unknown. Some of what we know in scripture are these commands, and as we follow them and commit our lives to them, his specific plan for us can be revealed. And a lot of decisions that we need to make, because we want to make good decisions, are right here. So this one, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So should I be sleeping with this guy or girl before we're married? Nope. Don't pray about that one. Don't even pray about that one. It's right there. Uh, yeah, should I cheat on my taxes? Nope. Don't even think about it. Yeah, but they use the money for this and that. Nope. <laughs> That's not up to you. The Bible says, here it is. Forgive. The Bible says this is God's will for you that you forgive because you're forgiven. Okay, so should I forgive this person or hold on to it? Don't even pray about it. Forgive. Wives, submit to husbands. <laughs> you don't have to pray about that one. Just do it. Husbands, love your wives. You don't have to pray about that one. Do it. Now, you might need to pray about how that looks, but the Bible is full of how to live, and if we know what that is, children, submit to parents. Are my kids here? There you go. Children, submit to parents. That's in the Bible. <laughs> don't pray about it. Just do it. Life gets a lot easier. What we're looking at here is guardrails. God's providential and moral will this is part of the game plan, but it's like guardrails or lines in the road. So, you know, a couple weeks ago when we had the storm, it was wet and snowy, and I was actually driving up here, I couldn't see the lines on the road, and nobody else could either. So we were all over the place, you know, and I was going to go into the turn lane, but I'm like, am I going into oncoming traffic, or is this the turn lane? But it's difficult when you can't see the lines on the road. It's dangerous. It's the same in life. There are lines in the road. There are guardrails that were designed. It's like, like bowling. And you put up the bumpers, <laughs> put up the bumpers and it's going to bounce back and forth, but go in the same way. God's moral will and God's providential will are the bumpers on the bowling, the guardrails on the road, the lines on the street, and they help us make decisions to stay within. Now, sometimes, and we're going to get into this more next week. Sometimes that road, there's a fork in the road and we have to make a decision. We're going to, that's next week. How do you make some of those decisions? But if it's a decision regarding God's moral or providential will, that's an easy one. That's not a fork in the road. If you decide to go against one of those, you just hopped over the guardrail and you're paving your path through the desert. You ever tried that? It's hard. I've tried it. <laughs> I've been off road and went, what's over there? And you know what? There's bushes and there's sand and you can't go very far. You'll get stuck. It's the same way in life. Listen to this though. We can resist God's moral will. Listen, 
We can resist God's moral will. We cannot resist his providential will. And there's been times where God has stepped in with his providential will and made people do things. But I would argue they had already set on their path. They had already hardened themselves. You know, Pharaoh is one of those. It says God hardened his heart. Pharaoh's heart was already hard. God just continued what was already there. But we can resist his moral will. He's not going to make you obey him. He's not going to make you make the right choices. I pray for my kids that he would. <laughs> but yet that's not how it works. So we can resist his moral will. If you can understand and be committed to the providential and the moral will of God, then you can better discern the personal will of God for you. So the personal will of God, this is in your notes, the personal will of God is his specific will for each of us as individuals. His specific will for each of us as individuals. His personal will for you will always fall into the boundaries, the guardrails of his providential and moral will, always Look with me at our last two verses, eight and nine, because here we're going to see God's personal will for you, our first glimpse of that. And here Peter answers the question. He's been talking about it, but here he directly answers the question to the critics, to the false teachers that say, Jesus hasn't come back. Everything's been the same. So go your own way. He's going to address that. Verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Uh, this is probably not meaning an exact conversion. <laughs> a thousand years equals a day, a day equals a thousand years. What it means is time doesn't work the same for God as it does for you and I. God created time, by the way. God's outside of time. He can do whatever he wants with time. He can go back, he can do whatever. So he's outside of time. So for us, we're going, why are you waiting 2,000 years? For him, he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's all kind of happening at the same time to me. So, so he looks at time differently than we do. And so he's pointing that out to them. You guys don't understand. He's not delaying. Maybe, maybe by the way it looks to us, but not to him. So then he addresses now for us though, it does feel like he's delaying. Verse nine says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness as you and me do. Taking 2000 years, that's pretty slow. For them, it had only been 30, 40 years. For us, it's 2000. So we can argue this even more. He says, no, he's not slow as some count slowness, but he's patient. Oh, this is a character trait of Jesus and of our God. He is patient toward you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not this angry God with a, you know, a magnifying glass on an anthill. He has not come back. Jesus has not returned for one main reason. This gives me chills. Because more people need to be saved. Jesus' desire, God's desire is that none perish and all come to repentance. That's his desire. That's his personal will for you. That's not going to happen because we can resist that. Like we can resist his moral will. But Jesus desires, he's not gonna force anybody to follow him. He's not gonna force anybody. But he's waiting because there's just one more. Maybe it's you. So maybe one of you needs to give your life to Christ today and he'll come back this afternoon because you're the one he's waiting for. That'd be great. Maybe it's your neighbor that he's waiting for. Maybe it's a family member that he's waiting for, but he's patient because those that have not yet given their lives to him that will, he's waiting for them to give their lives to him. Because he desires none to perish. That's verse nine. Perish means to die without hope. To die without hope. Without the assurance of eternal life. 
Jesus doesn't want that for anybody. But because God is just, he has to judge. He has to judge sin. And some will perish. And some will be judged by fire. And it's going to be horrible. But that's not what God wants. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to not perish, but repent. The word repent means to turn. It means to switch allegiance. The Bible teaches that before you give your life to God, you're actually an enemy of God. So when you repent, you switch allegiance. It's no longer to yourself, to the flesh, to the enemy, the devil, to this world. You now switch allegiance and you're with God. I'm with him. Your life is bonded to him. That's repentance. It means I agree with your moral will. That's what repentance means. So if you're reading and going, oh, God says this, I disagree. That's not repentance. <laughs> repentance is I agree that your, what your word says. I agree that it's true and I'm going that way. That's repentance. So he desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. God's specific desire for you. If you want to know his personal will, here's the first one. It's that you repent, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, and be saved. That's his will for you. If you've ever wondered, does God want me? He wants you. Did Jesus die for me? Yes, he did. Does Jesus love me? Yes, he does. Does Jesus have a plan for my life? Absolutely but it starts with submitting to him. It starts with bowing the knee to him. You can't even start down that road until you bow the knee to Jesus. And he's a loving God. He's a wonderful Lord. You'll never regret it. You might go through things that are tough, but he's gonna go with you. That's his will for you. Then, okay, then you can find the bound rails, the, the guardrails of his moral and providential will. You can learn those things and make better decisions in life. So, after you make that decision, now get into community. You're here. You're part of a church. Great. If you move, find a church that teaches the Bible because this is where the guardrails are found. Get into a group because guess what? You're never going to know it all. Neither am I. But you get into a group, others will. Maybe not all, <laughs> but others will. And so when you're in community and relationships with people who know the Bible and you share, hey, I'm thinking about this. They can go, uh, great idea because it says this or horrible idea because it says this and they'll help show you the guardrails where they're not clear. So we need to be in community. We need to be in the word. That's where we learn those things. But here's our big point. Listen, embracing the known will of God is the key to discovering the unknown. Next week, we're gonna look more at God's thumbprint on you, his fingerprint on you, how he's made you to discover his will for you. But today, here's our big point. We know certain things. And it starts with this, he desires you to be saved. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, during this last worship set, I want you to come up front right here. We've never done that here. We always say go to that room. Well, this time, if you feel called, come up here and we're gonna have somebody pray with you. Or if you've been wandering, if you've known God's moral will and you've said, eh, <laughs> but you look at this and you go, no, I wanna be on his road, come up here. We'll have somebody pray for you. Then, then we can move forward. Then life gets exciting because then we're going on his path and sometimes we'll bump the guardrail and he'll bring us back on. Let's close in worship. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you.